Hello, this is Mike Harbath with this week's Shoot the Moon podcast, broadcasting live and direct from Revenue Rocket headquarters here in Bloomington, Minnesota. We are, uh, as you know, if you're a regular listener to the Revenue Rocket podcast, the premier growth strategy and M&A advisor to IT services companies worldwide. And today I have my partner, Ryan Barnett, with me. Ryan? Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Uh, appreciate you having on here today, and I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to pick your brain a little bit about, about a subject that we see quite often. And, uh, you know, I feel part of our jobs at at Revenue Rocket is really trying to find a deal and how to get it done. And I think the other part of our job is sometimes therapist. And perhaps I, it's because I'm engaged with therapist, I see kind of the questions she's asking, but I'm also seeing the trials and tribulations about what it takes get a deal over the line. And I'd love to get your uh, insight today, Mike, on when we embark upon a merger, what are some things that a seller, what's going through their mind? You know, what's the first and last thing they should be thinking about? And uh, you can either take this in the context of someone who is approached and this is the first time they've heard of an opportunity and uh, kind of there, or we can take the context of, of someone who has started a process and said, hey, I'm willing to sell the company and, and let's start the discussion. Uh, I guess, Michael, just high, high level, you know, what's the first thing as a, an owner thinks of um, when they, they get first approached of let's, uh, let's sell the firm, let's, uh, let's go to market? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great topic, Ryan. And, and a couple things that we see consistently that owners have to do if they're thinking about selling or get approached by a buyer um, is to really think about, um, you know, what they want to do next. Uh, I think that many, many people enter into a process with a buyer or decide to list their company for sale, and they haven't fully thought about um, what happens after the deal is done. Um, we see those uh, individual sellers get very close to the end of the transaction. Matter of fact, we experienced one of those recently in our own practice uh, with a client um, that just wasn't ready to sell. They thought they were ready to sell. They had thought they were in a position to, you know, monetize the deal and, and, and sort of move on from their business. But when push came to shove, they just weren't ready and they backed away. Um, now, a lot of sellers will, you know, create a smokescreen in their own mind about why they back away, that it was, you know, issues with the buyer. But when push comes to shove, it was issues with the seller's mindset and why they weren't ready to sell. So it's critical that you think about what happens the day after the deal's done and what your life looks like afterwards, whether you're selling in and want to be part of something bigger and play a role in a bigger organization, or whether you want to sell out and move on to uh, to something new. Certainly a uh, really important point uh, that I can't overemphasize is to think about what you are going to personally be doing uh, post-transaction and have clarity and transparency with any buyer about what that is. Yeah, it, you know, this is a, it is a non-natural, a non-natural act. You're, you're, you're taking something that has been your baby and you're, you're offering it to, to someone else who, who hopefully has the same, the same fit. 
you know, again, we all go back. We look for strategic fit. We look for cultural fit. We look for financial fit. And if those things have already aligned, then what you're doing as a, a seller should should be something that's positive. But you're still taking your you're gonna look at all your employees when you sell the company and say, hey, this is your new future. And your customers, they're gonna have a new home. And getting that clarity and that ease of mind uh, is something that's important. Uh, that being said, I will advise to sellers is that um, those are great ambitions, but it, in your personal life, you gotta be able to trust the people that are acquiring the firm that they're going to run the business. As well, you know, they didn't. People aren't buying your business because they want to destroy it. They're they're buying your business because they want to keep it. And especially in a labor market like today, and a, a consulting market today that's very hot, uh, they having the ability to understand that your future is going to be in good hands um, with people that you trust and that you've gone through an LOI and you've gone through due diligence uh, that it's going to go in the right direction. Yeah, and I, I guess I would also add, Ryan, that, you know, another key component of, of, you know, thinking about selling your business is to be realistic about what the value of your business is today and what to expect in that value. I think a lot of business owners have a number in mind that say, well, you know, if we got this number, we'd sell for that. And oftentimes that is uh, far afield from reality, from the current market. And when that occurs, you certainly can thrash uh, through a process to list your business for sale where you look at a lot of buyers who just can't get to your number or you get frustrated with a process that doesn't produce um, a number that is probably attainable uh, by many. So it's important to understand fair value of the business today and understand if that fair value makes sense for you to transact a deal, you know, in and around that range. Uh, certainly firms that hire us to represent them for sale, you know, we do a pretty good job of getting a premium for them. You know, we often say it's 20% above market. Um, it's been our experience generally. And, and that comes with a lot of hard work and effort. But it is based in the reality that the firm is worth, you know, a, a basic, you know, value. And, and we do valuations on anyone we bring to market to set that expectation, right? to say, hey, this is what we think their value is and are you in alignment with that? But if you're selling and you're not being represented or you're approached by a buyer, you certainly want to have either an outside advisor do a valuation on your firm to set expectations which we think is always a good idea, um, or to look at that valuation critically that's being done by a buyer to see that it lines up with market. Um, we think that's important because anytime your expectations are as a seller uh, above market or materially above market, the likelihood you're going to get someone to pay that um, goes way down. It's slim to none. Doesn't mean there's not overly exuberant buyers, as we like to call them, that will approach you and, you know, you'll be able to transact a deal. But they're very rare. That's rarefied error. There's a much higher likelihood that the deal will transact within sort of a normal band of, of what we call market-based price. And you need to be okay with that. And if your number is higher, materially higher than market-based price, don't expect that to 
somehow magically find you uh, because you're running a process or because you're um, been approached by someone. You have to look at it and say, you know, if I uh, if I need to get to a different number that's outside of what we would consider market norms, then you have to look at either growing your business or improving your you know profitability or you know um, aligning your strategy to be to create more value uh, or to become a top quartile performer where you can command a material premium in the market. Ryan, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but certainly that's what. Uh, I think we've been seeing in the market. Uh, my, my thoughts are in line with yours, uh, Mike. What I would uh, suggest, I think you, you nailed it. Sometimes you, you have to set the at least realistic expectation uh, based on value. And in the IT services industry, uh, in which services are a component and perhaps resell of some kind of, of uh, solution is a component, that your valuation is typically going to be based on the profit you're able to generate. It's difficult to, just because you see a friend sell something for 3x revenue in a you know, product or a SaaS-driven or a, something completely outside of what you do, doesn't mean that that same valuation could be applied to, to what you're seeing. And I think if you come in with a clear head and a clear mind of what we think we can get, then it makes sense to go uh, through a process. You're trying yep. to get to just realize you got to optimize the business and get it to where you need to uh, before you sell it. And buyers, what we at least the buyers we work with are, are for the most part rational. Uh, and even though they're strategic buyers, uh, and most almost uh, I'd say what 90 plus percent of our companies we represent on the buy side are strategic. You know they're looking for synergies and they're looking for long-term growth, um, and they'll they'll work to get to a number. Because uh, a deal is not going to get done unless it's right for everyone. It's got to it's got to fit the three categories: strategic, cultural, and financial. And that financial component has to be a number that uh, a seller can deal with and feel like they're getting what they earned and what they what they're worth. So, uh, can it keep, be realistic? You know, be optimistic. Uh, your advisor is going to be always pressing hard to get you the most money possible. So this is not a an excuse for some for an, an advisor to uh, to just find any deal. This is a uh, a way for you to help uh, understand that this process is a front with peril if you don't uh, work on it carefully in the front end. So uh, that certainly helps out. Um, Mike, I'd love to get your perspective on um, uh, what I'd call the last five percent. So uh, when we're negotiating a deal. Uh, you know, an LOI is pretty big. That's I'd say what that's almost half the deal in itself uh, when you're you're working through it. Uh, but when you start to get a purchase agreement in front of you, and it's uh, 50 to 200 pages long, uh, Mike, where where should a seller start to to spend their time? Where, where should they? Uh, what should they be thinking about? Well, I think you know it's a good question because. Um, I think the smartest folks don't pick a fight over the small things at the end, right? Um, it's easy to get uh, what we call deal fatigue. Deal fatigue comes when you're moving through um, uh, your transaction uh, with a potential buyer, and because there's so many things to negotiate and so many small details, 
that it creates a material distraction to the business and people just start to wear out. We call it deal fatigue. And oftentimes they auger in right at the end with very small knit uh, details in the negotiation that can put the entire deal at risk. We think that's a mistake. We think the final 5% of the deal doesn't really matter all that much. And I would say um, that's the same for a buyer, right? You shouldn't auger in to the point where, um, you know, you have to fight for the last nickel in the deal. We say the last 5%, frankly, doesn't matter all that much. And so uh, it's important if you're represented, certainly an advisor can help you through this process and help you determine what should be done. And oftentimes when an advisor takes this path towards the end of a negotiation in a, in a M&A deal, a seller would perceive that um, that advisor is just focused on making their feet versus focused on their client's best interest, which they feel you should be fighting for every nickel. When in reality, what's happening with the advisor is they're using their experience to help guide you to a successful transaction, knowing that some of these very final small details aren't worth fighting to the death over. And so we think it's important whether you have a representative or not to be thinking uh, clearly about, you know, these final mile things and make sure that you don't forget all of the progress you've made in negotiating, you know, the, all of the much more material components of the deal earlier uh, earlier in the negotiation. Right. And I think where this goes further is that you have to take a deep look and take a opportunity uh, to dig deeper into the firms you're using to help evaluate the, the agreement. So legal firms, for example, um, they are incentivized just based on how they're typically paid to uh, to keep looking for things and to keep finding every T and every I for a document that eventually may be put on a shelf because there's reps and warrants associated with the deal anyway. So um, this happens with due diligence as well. So buyers, if you're out there and you're trying to examine every single piece of due diligence, uh, remember that you're often you're protected through a number of different ways. Yeah, I, and I would also add that that there is no perfect agreement, right? There is no perfect situation that you know produces no risk in an M and A deal. There's going to be risk associated for buy, with it for buyers and sellers, and you have to do your best, uh, to sort of take a best faith effort in documenting it well with your legal advisors on both sides and not try to make a perfect agreement because there won't be a perfect agreement. Likewise, uh, there may be things that, you know, at some point you just have to trust that the person buying your company is going to do the right thing, is going to do what um, and follow the intent of the of the agreement. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you know, throw caution to the wind and you don't document in clear detail what the terms of the deal are. Um, but it does mean that, you know, if you're trying to de-risk every component of a particular transaction in that legal agreement, uh, you're just never going to achieve that perfection. And at some point, in order to get the deal closed, you just have to uh, 
assume the remaining risk in the deal and close. And we think that's the right thing to do when you're, you know, still working on T's and C's in an agreement, of, you know, a week before a close that in the end probably won't matter. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, that's kind of the, the biggest questions I've had for you today. You know, this again, it, this is a journey that is really difficult and um, you're going to go through quite a bit when you're selling your company. Uh, at, the, at the end, there's there's a huge light at the end of the uh, tunnel. Typically, there's a it's monetary. You're going to be uh, you're going to find some you know financial relief that makes uh, the biggest investment that you have in your life a bit de-risk. Uh, so that's that's look forward to that. I look forward to the time that you've got and the opportunities that you have in front of you to do something different. Look forward to the, the learning opportunities you have at the new company and, and look forward to the prosperity that your employees are going to have and the opportunities your customers are going to have for new ways to, to get uh, service provided to them. So there's some very good things to look forward to throughout the process. And it always gets tiring at the end, but once it's done and uh, you can sit back and relax and finally hit that motorcycle ride or go down that ski, ski, uh, ski hill one more time, it's something that's uh, worth doing. Absolutely, Ryan. Good, uh, good advice. So with that, we'll tie a ribbon on it for this week's podcast. Uh, this week, uh, last week of May of 2021. We look forward to next week. Take care.